Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. Real quick review as we go through the first two sections, go back to chapter 1. I'll probably do this every time we take on two chapters on Wednesday evening to tie it together with our study of the book of Daniel on Sunday mornings. Now in chapter 1, we find that um, John is the last disciple, apostle, who has not been martyred. He's on an island in, in a, a GNC called Patmos, the year is 96 AD. And the Lord appears to him and speaks to him. And the key to the book of Revelation is chapter 1, verse 19. And the Lord tells him the right to things that you have seen. Uh, I'll stop right there with the comma. And that's what he's seen thus far. And that is a vision of the Lord in his glorified body. That's chapter 1. And then he's told in 19 to write the things which are, it's in the present tense, which pertains to the church age. And the things which will take place after this, I'm going to introduce to you the Greek word there, metatonta, because it's going to be the first verse of chapter 4 tonight. So the key to the book of Revelation is right here. It is cut and divided into three different sections, the things that he's seen, chapter 1, the things that are the church age that began at um, Pentecost, and it will end with the rapture of the church, which is a good uh, portion of our Bible study tonight talking about the rapture and the things that are after the rapture. So we are now entering the third section which goes from chapters 4 through 19. It is the bulk of the book. It is the the close of history for the testimony of the church. The Lord always has had a witness. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. Sometimes he did a good job, sometimes he didn't. Um, But right now, the Lord says that um, you're, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we're not to hide the light that we have under a bushel basket. In other words, we're supposed to be sharing our faith and letting people know whenever we have the opportunity, looking for an opportunity to talk about Jesus. I had an opportunity to talk to a um, a taxi cab driver and um, here in town I was dropping off my car to get fixed and Judy was somewhere else, and I needed to get home. And um, so the guy that picked me up, I said, when I was a young kid, I used to drive cab at Oshkosh. I really, really enjoyed it. And he, he said, really? And he, and he says, Oshkosh, what year? And I told him, he says, well, my dad owned, owned that back then. So we actually worked together during the same period of time. So we talked about Oshkosh things for a while, and... and um, I don't know what brought it up, but uh, um, I told him, yeah, I used to do a lot of bar hopping in Oshkosh, but one night um, I was listening to Billy Graham, and I accepted Jesus, and I never looked back. And the, 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 his whole temperament changed, and and he says, I, I love Billy Graham. And and then he turned on the radio, and it was it was set to Surrey. He says, whenever I'm driving by myself, I listen I listen to this. So for the rest of the way home, we fellowshiped. And I invited him to church because he's not plugged into one right now. So maybe he's here tonight or watching the live stream. I hope so. But you never know uh, what little statement you might say. You just might open the door, so to speak. Matter of fact, the word door is going to appear four times in the book of Revelation. Um, In chapter 4, verse 1, the King James mentions it. Let me just see here. Oh, no, it says it in the New King James too. But four times in the book of Revelation, the church of Philadelphia, the Lord says, I'm going to open a door of ministry for you. So anyway, as we, we go through this section tonight, we're, we are to be the witness during this, what we call a dispensation, um, roughly 2,000 years. <clears throat> as soon as we are raptured, we read on Sunday, I believe it was Revelation 11, the two witnesses, Elijah and Moses, 
tells us that their length of time for their witness was 1,260 days, which is exactly three and a half years, which is half of the half of the tribulation period. Now, this ties into Daniel chapter 9, where in talking about verse 27, the Antichrist, he says he'll make a covenant um, with Israel for seven years, for one week. But in the middle of the week, so now we have that 1,260-year period, three and a half years, but in the middle of the week, he'll break the covenant, and Jesus talks about this event. He calls it the abomination of desolation. And he refers us back to Daniel. Now, I'm going to repeat this over and over and over again, but I really want you to be able to see how these two books are dovetailed together. And we're going to do that again, hopefully, this evening. But um, here we have this division. The two witnesses that we have with 144,000 will be there um, all the way up till the time where he completely turns over uh, planet Earth for a short time to the Antichrist. All the world will worship him. People will be forced to take his mark or you die. Just like we studied Daniel on Sunday, worship the image or die. We need to connect those dots. Now, chapters 2 and 3, just notice that they're all red letters. It's the church age. We are here right now. We have not entered chapter 4 yet. We are still here. We're the church. And unfortunately, um, what the Bible predicts about the church is that there'll be a falling away. A falling away from solid teaching, sound doctrine. Um... People will gravitate towards churches that will tell them more what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. I would say at least nine out of ten churches have no idea what the rapture is or have ever taught it, or they simply don't believe in it. Most mainline Protestant churches and Roman Catholicism do not take a literal view of the book of Revelation. It's allegorical, it's spiritual, or it's... um, uh, allegorical fight between light and darkness, good and evil. But in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, Blessed is he who reads and hears the words of this prophecy and keeps them which are written, for the time is near. The last thing it says in Revelation is make sure you don't add anything to it or take anything away from it. I think the Lord meant for us to take it literally, and it's really not that difficult. It really isn't. It will explain itself if it's symbolic, and if we don't find the explanation in the chapter, you will find it in the book of Daniel. Now, so we're going through chapters 2 and 3. I would point out the Church of Philadelphia because it does say here in verse 8 that I have set before you an open door. So again, uh, the word door is going to refer four times. First one is here with the Church of Philadelphia, And now as we begin um, um, chapter 4, verse 1, it again has that Greek word, after these things, metatonta is the Greek, and it literally means after the things of the church age. We are entering in now to a whole new final seven-year period of time. And uh, we're going to take a little time tonight and just talk about the rapture. What is the rapture? Uh, when is the rapture? What are the different views of the rapture, which I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on. Um, but it was a mystery. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, um, Behold, well, let's just turn her as we make our way through it, 1 Corinthians 15. Pick it up verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. In other words, something that hasn't been completely revealed yet. He says, we will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, the word there is the word where we get the word metamorphosis from. And um, I was out in the yard the other day, and I saw one of these cute little fuzzy, um, what do you call those cute little fuzzy worms? (laughs) A what? Caterpillar, right. 
So, you know, they, they go hang out in, in a tree for a couple of days and they spin their cocoon. And after millions and millions and millions of years, <laughs> no, after a couple of weeks, they turn from this uh, caterpillar that could only crawl in the ground and eat. And they form their cocoon and they go through the process that we call metamorphosis. And uh, when they come out of that process, they turn into this beautiful monarch butterfly that uh, is no longer earthbound, but can, is heavenbound. And uh, they primarily uh, are there for mating and then flying to Mexico for the winter, where they all meet at the same mountain outside of Mexico City, about 100 miles north and east. And um, it's amazing, you know, who gave them the compass? Who told them how to, the guy, the, the monarch in, in Seattle and the monarch in uh, New York City, how to end up in the same mountain range in, outside of uh, Mexico? We shall be changed. It's that radical of a change. And it's not millions and millions of years. When we're raptured, and that's what he's referring to here, we will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it's one one hundred thousandth of a second. We're here, and then we're not here. That's how fast the twinkling of an eye is. At the last trump, for the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised and corruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, uh, you can't make a doctrine out of one scripture. You have to take all scripture in context. So um, we just had a funeral for Jim a couple weeks ago, and you have to take um, a, um, a doctrine and see what the scripture teaches on that complete doctrine. You can't take one verse out of context. We read, when a person dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It is instantaneous. And he, the confidence of it, as he says, we know when this, when this earthly body is destroyed, this tent, that we have a building made without hands, eternal in the heavens. And um, so uh, those who hold to the doctrine of soul sleep and that sort of thing, it's just not biblical. You can take a verse out of context and make it so, but not when you ha- read the totality of Scripture. It's an instantaneous um, thing that happens, but only after Jesus rose from the grave. He was the first fruits. Before then, everybody who died in the faith was in what we call Abraham's bosom. They couldn't go to heaven yet because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet for their sins. And the shedding of the blood of goats and sheep was only a temporary picture of the real Lamb of God coming. And when he came and died, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the Fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, setting the captives free. Ephesians 4. Before he ascended, he descended. But what he did ascend, Matthew 27, verse 52 says, many of the graves were opened after his resurrection and appeared to many. What do you think? They went back to uh, Abraham's bosom? No, they're with the Lord. So when we read about this event, that it's a mystery. More clarification is given to us in two places. The first one is in First Thessalonians 4. Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow, even as those which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will be with him. Now, it's important that you get this one down because the way they word the, the rest of this, um, some have taken that out of context. Here it clearly says that people who have died are going to come back with Jesus when the rapture takes place. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not pre- prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now these are our Presbyterians here. These dead in Christ is, means pre- Presbyterian. Come on, lighten up. <laughs> I could have said Lutheran, but that you know I had to pick on somebody, so I 
picks on Presbyterians, I guess. Um, the, the wording there is, will have already risen. And it has to be that way, otherwise it contradicts what we just read, that the Lord is already bringing them back. Then, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will ever be with the Lord. Therefore, scare one another to death with these words. Now, the whole idea of the, of the, of the rapture, when you read it, and in First um, Thessalonians 5, talking about the day of the Lord, that God hasn't appointed us to wrath. He says, comfort one another. This is the glorious hope that we have. Um, people will say, well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible. Well, neither is the word trinity. But I can show you it over and over and over and over again where the trinity is taking place. The baptism of, of the Lord. Jesus is getting baptized. The Holy Spirit is descending. And the Father is speaking from heaven. And you have the Trinity right there. So it comes from the Greek word harpazo, which means to snatch away by force. The term in Latin is rapier, and in English we get the word rapture. So the Bible clearly teaches the rapture. Um, It's probably the most disputed doctrine that people like to defend and argue to the point sometimes of even not fellowshipping if you don't hold their perspective and viewpoint. There are different positions, and I'll I'll just name them without getting into what they believe. Um, Mid-trib, which means the rapture takes place three and a half years into the tribulation. There's a post-trib, the denomination that I have, um, that the rapture takes place at the end of the seven years. So it doesn't make too much sense because... We're getting raptured up and the Lord is coming down all at the same time. And the difference between the two, according to Matthew 24, is when the Lord comes at the second coming, every eye will see him. As the lightning shines from the west and to the east, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Everybody will see the Lord coming. At the rapture, no one sees the Lord. We go to meet him. And so there's a difference between the two. And if we had a lot of time, I'd put up a chart and go through each one of them point by point. Pre-wrath are those who uh, point to the trib, but before the wrath begins. Uh, uh, pre-wrath. And the pre-trib, and I want you to think this through. Because usually if I talk to a person who holds a different position on the rapture other than pre-trib, I ask them a simple question. I, I say, do you think the Lord could come? at any time, and without them thinking about it too much, they inevitably always say yes. But you see, if you're anything other than pre-wrath, I mean pre-trib, this is the only view that holds to the imminent. That means that the Lord could return at any other time. And if you're not taking the pre-trib point of view, then you're actually looking for the Antichrist rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Revelation 6, verse 1, that's the first thing that you see, is the coming. So the Lord warned about that servant that says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming, because uh, they figure they have time. But uh, as, as you search the scriptures, uh, imminency is what um, the scripture teaches, looking for that blessed hope. Paul was in his generation. Every generation uh, could, have, could have been the generation that the Lord um, uh, talked about. Uh, some people who argue and say, well, you're just, you're just trying to, to, to get away from um, all the persecution. And you, you want just a way out so that you, you don't have to deal with all the horror that's going to take place. So that's the reason that you're pre-trib. Let's get something straight here. First of all, the church in persecution. Now we do suffer persecution, more and more every day, from the flesh, the devil, and the world. We get persecution. Uh, I quoted this on Sunday. Yes, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Tough place for an amen, but amen. It's, It's a fact. 
Here's the difference between the persecution that we're experiencing now and the persecution that's going to happen during the Great Tribulation. The persecution we experience now comes from our adversary, the devil. Uh, In Revelation 6, verse 17, it says, this is the wrath of the Lamb. So the judgment that coming is not coming from the devil. It is coming from the wrath of the Lord himself. It's the day of the Lord, and it's his wrath. Uh, So the difference, that's the difference in the the great tribulation. It's God's wrath, and we're not, um, we're escaping. And that's the teaching. And what I like to do is I like to look for pictures that verify one or the other. We did this on Sunday by um, using a couple examples of the teaching and then the Old Testament picture. This goes way back. It's a whole Bible study within itself, going back to Genesis 5. Enoch. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Well, what does that mean? That means he walked with God, and God took him. (laughs) He was just gone. He was only 365 years old. He was just a young guy. And the brain teaser that goes along with that is... uh, if Methuselah is the oldest man who ever lived, how is it that he died before his father? And the answer is, father never died. He just went to be with the Lord. So we have a picture, but Methuselah, actually his name means his death shall bring. And when you put the names of all these, uh, in Genesis 5, I wish I had time to do it, um, the year that Methuselah died is the year that the flood came. His death shall break. And um, it, it happened in the same year. Another picture would be Lot. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said he was on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah and that he was going to judge it. Obviously, Abraham's concerned. He asks the question, will you judge the righteous with the wicked? And he goes through this whole scenario. What if there's only 50? Would you destroy it? Nope. How about 45? No. And you know that from 30 to 20, all the way down to 10. Lord, what if there's only 10 people that are righteous? Now, you can bet Abraham's counting. Well, there's, there's, there's Lot and his wife and his two daughters and their husbands. So that's two, four, we're up to six. There's got to be at least four, four people in Lot. So he quit at 10. What if there's only 10? He says, no, if there's 10 righteous, I will not destroy it. Will not the God of all the universe do that which is right? See, it was, it was morally in his conscience that God would not judge people who are made righteous with the ungodly. And because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin and made me righteous, that puts me in that category. But Lot becomes a picture of it. So an angels, a couple angels show up at the door and says, you guys got to get out of Dodge. Because God's going to destroy this place. And he thought I was kidding. And um, um, they meandered. He told the rest of the family. They thought, you gotta be, you're crazy. And it says, while they lingered, the angels grabbed them by the cuff and pulled them out of town and said this, we can't do anything until you're out. Because you're righteous. We can't do anything until you're, you're out of here. Um, So when they were out of town, God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. And the warning in that is that Lot's wife's heart was in the world. Just like we read on Sunday that Demas left Paul because he loved this world more. And when talking about the rapture, which we can continue to do by turning to Matthew chapter 24... The Lord, in talking about um, the rapture, says, remember Lot's wife. Right now they're celebrating in Israel, Israel's jubilee year, 50 years, and it's making the news. And the parable of the fig tree here is about Israel from verses 32 to 35, basically saying that the generation that sees Israel blossom or become a nation We'll see the fulfillment of all things. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
Now, starting with verse 36, um, these are, well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let me give one more illustration of uh, a picture in the Old Testament, and that would be Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 6 said the thoughts of Ben's heart were only evil continually. I mean, not just part of the time, all of the time. It was continually evil in their mind. And the Lord said, I'm sorry I made him. And he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to destroy the earth. And he talked to Noah. Noah found grace. And Noah began to build a boat. And he, he was a witness to his generation for 120 years, telling people judgment was coming. And just like today, people don't take it seriously. We tell them the rapture is going to happen. And they, they think you're crazy. Unless you, you, you know the scriptures and how it ties in. Well, um, Noah's ark is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the only means of salvation. And basically, when it did begin to rain, it says that the Lord closed the door. And there was only one way into the ark. There was only one door, and the Lord closed it. Judgment was done. Noah and his family went up. After judgment, they came back down. That's exactly what's going to happen. The church is going to be raptured. We're going to go up. Um, I'll get to a verse in Isaiah, a little bit about entering our chambers. and and um, But what's interesting about this event, is they were the only ones that were saved. Only eight people were saved. And when they came back down, they landed. The ark came to rest on the the 14th of Nisan. Well, what is the 14th of Nisan? Well, the 14th of Nisan, actually, this is wrong in my notes because it's the 17th of Nisan. And... um, but that's what it rested. Any significance of the 17th of Nisan? Yeah, it's three days after the 14th of Nisan, what we call Passover when Jesus died on the cross. Anything of significance happened three days later? Yeah, the work is over. He's risen from the dead. It's a picture. It's a clear picture of Jesus and those who are in the ark being taken up, judgment being done, and then coming down. Why give us a date? I mean... Really? Why tell us that it happened on the 17th of Nisan? Because it's three days after the crucifixion. We have resurrection. Um, When, why, and when is the rapture? Well, the when is in verse 38, where we are told, but of that day and hour... No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, this is interesting to me, too, because our God is so long-suffering, and he doesn't want any to perish, and he will allow evil to continue, but he's going to get to that point, just like in Genesis 6, when he says, enough, no more. But he's waiting for that one person so that they don't have to go through the the tribulation, and the Father's the only one who's going to pull the trigger. He's going to say, now. So we don't know the day or the hour of the rapture. As we go through Daniel, when we get to Daniel 9, I'll tell you the very day that he would show up on a scene, the very day. And in chapter 12, I'll show you to the very day when he's going to return. I know the day of the first coming, and I know the day of the second coming. I don't know the day of the rapture, but I wish it was before this Bible study was over. Good place for an amen. 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 No more allergies for until these things are done. But as it was in the days of Noah, so now the Lord makes a connection. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Life was normal. So, yes, it's getting dark and um, uglier all the time. We're getting the details out of Manchester, just how gruesome this attack was. It was an ISIS cell. 
father and, and brother in Libya were part of it. Another brother was just taken into custody tonight. 22 dead, 100 brutally. Well, you guys know the details. It's getting worse, just as the Lord said it would. And there are signs, but it's going to be... Um, well, just turn the page back to um, chapter 24 concerning his second coming in the great tribulation. Verse 21 says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not since the beginning of the world until the time, nor ever shall be. And unless those days are shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So when the Lord comes at the second coming, does it sound like everyday life is normal? Are people eating and drinking and getting married? No. There's, he says, unless I directly intervene in world history, nobody's going to be left alive. So there's a major difference between when Jesus returns at the second coming, wherever I will see him, and the rapture of the church, where we're not expecting it. And as the days in the flood, they were eating and drinking, and they didn't know until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and the other one left. You have, uh, um, maybe you have a mate that isn't saved. Maybe you have a son or a daughter who isn't saved. Um, boy. Chick Chikalis' mother just made it. She, her whole life, stubbornly refused to accept Jesus. And um, I just found out she died. And it was six weeks ago she gave her, week, her life to Jesus. And um, I was talking to Chick about it. I said, Chick, that's calling it close, bro. And he had prayed for his mother his whole life, and she was just staunch against the gospel. And she was into some sort of, um, I forget what it was, but she wasn't going to budge. But she finally did, and um, um, now now she's home. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other one left. What are we to do? Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known the hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken in for. Therefore be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you don't expect him. If I was telling you tonight, what are you thinking about right now? <sighs> the weather is supposed to be good for Memorial Day weekend. They keep changing it. Every hour they change it. And that's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about Memorial Day weekend. Going to going to be raining or not. The weatherman never gets it right. He's wrong half the time. So we're not really thinking about that. We're thinking about our brats and getting together and so on and so forth. That's what it's going to be like when the Lord comes again. But in chapter 25, there's wise virgins, wise Christians, and foolish Christians. And the difference between the two is one has oil in their lamps and the other one doesn't. Some are born again, and some are not. And the ones who are born again, they see the signs, and they're ready. And when it becomes so obvious, like, let's say, the Ezekiel 38 war, it's so obvious that the Lord is coming. Or let's say we wake up tomorrow and hear that Damascus is no more. You know what that is to me? Behold, the bridegroom is coming. <laughs> Because that's how late it is. We're telling people this is what's going to happen. And as it unfolds, they're wise and they're given a shout. And then at verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now having said that, First Thessalonians 5 said, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, not the day and the hour, but the times and the seasons, I want you to know, you're children of the light. You're children of the day. We're the ones who are supposed to know what's coming down. And we're the ones who are to articulate it and explain it in real terms so that people don't think you're crazy. But being able to explain through prophecy 
that these things are absolutely going to take place. Nothing is, nothing is going to stop it from happening. Verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but not my word. Not what we're talking about tonight. Uh, the rapture will take place. The church must be removed before God's judgment, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Our judgment was placed on Jesus at the cross. His wrath was poured out for my sins there. Um, it is to comfort us now with the blessed hope of the rapture, uh, not looking for the tribulation. And uh, again, the pre-trib view is the only one that carries with it that hope. Titus 2 verse 13, looking for that blessed hope. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, if you're born again, then seek those things that are above, where the Lord is. So in chapters 4 and 5 tonight, how's that for an introduction? Half, half the time, all my time. Is this, go back to um, Revelation 4. We only got to verse 1. After these things, Metatonta, I heard a trumpet and a door open. And I believe it's a picture of John being taken up. Come up here. And I will show you which things which must take place. And here the word metatonta begins chapter 4, but it also ends verse 1. It is the same Greek word. After these things. After what things? After the, the dispensational age of what we call church history. That has a beginning and an end. Immediately, I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper, a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, and its, its appearance was like an emerald. Let's just stop there. Here we have a view, and while we're doing that, turn back to um, Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel starts out in chapter 1 with seeing the four living Zoa, or the four beings that surround the throne. We'll be talking about them in just a bit. But Ezekiel sees what John saw. Verse 26, well, let's go back to verse 25 because that's going to be mentioned there too. The the likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. And under the firmament, there were wings spread out straight, one towards each other. Each one had two, which covered one side and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. And when they went, I heard the noise of the wings, like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. Wow, I'd like to see that. I'm going to see that. And a voice came from the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings. Now verse 26. And above the firmament, over their head, was the likeness of a throne in appearance of a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was the likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upwards I saw as if it were the color of amber, with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of the waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire and brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow on a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking. Back to Revelation 4, where we read in verse 2, I saw one sit on the throne, and his likeness was a jasper stone in appearance, and it was a rainbow on the throne in appearance, and an emerald. We actually have more information given to us back in Ezekiel than we actually have for us here in Revelation. We just have a couple of verses. 
John's in heaven. The very first thing that he sees is the Father sitting on the throne. And I'll explain while I know it's the Father when we get to chapter 5. Now, around the throne, uh, there were 24 elders. And we're told that the 24 were clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Uh, the, The 24 elders represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. This will have more clarification when we get to the New Jerusalem when it talks about the gates and um, the church and Israel being blended together. Um, So when we look at verse 5, we go back to the throne. What an incredible scene. I wish Sesame DeMills would have tried this one out. (laughs) He did great with the Ten Commandments and the parting of the sea and the plagues, but to have anybody tackle this, wow. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And what we have a reference here to is really um, uh, that of the Holy Spirit, And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Now, this is mentioned back in Ezekiel. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne, now catch this, in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Now, if we had a lot of time, we'd go back to Ezekiel because they give quite a bit of detail about uh, the Greek word here for for creature is actually zoa. Um, let me grab my notes here. <clears throat> the four living creatures, the Greek word is zoa, from which we get our English word zoo. It doesn't mean a wild beast as we might think. We will have a wild beast when we get to Revelation 13. Uh, but that's a different word and a di- different type of beast. These are living creatures. The emphasis is not upon them being a beast, but upon uh, the vital, upon the fact that they're living and that they're full of eyes. This speaks of their alertness, their awareness. They resemble the cherubim of Ezekiel 1 and also in chapter 10 and the seraphim in chapter 6 of, um, in the book of Isaiah. So I'd actually like to go back and look at um, the one in Isaiah chapter 6. So let's just make a connection again with the Old Testament. Isaiah 6. I want to pick it up in verse 1. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Now here they're called seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, 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 Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of your glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And um, just for a personal application here, um, you know, you can't you can't drum up humility. It just doesn't happen. We're 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 full of ourselves. You know, the Bible says, "Love your neighbor as you love what." We love ourselves, and uh, by nature, we're proud of what we do, and we like to take credit for what we do, and so on and so forth. But true humility only comes here when you really are in the presence of God. And when you're in the presence of God, it is an awesome thing and a humbling thing. And so what does Isaiah do as he sees this? He goes, woe is me. I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. 
I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having his hand with the live coal, which he had taken with the tongue from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And it goes on, and the Lord asks the hypothetical question, who am I going to send? Who will go for us? Who's, who's around? I mean, Isaiah is the only guy right there. <laughs> so I raise, he raises his hand and says, Here I am, Lord. Send I. Gang, if you get nothing out of this study tonight, you know, are you available? Not ability, but availability. Are you willing to say, Lord, today's yours? And uh, I really will put myself on, on the table. I'll be just like Isaiah. If you want me, you got me. And we need to get to that place. Uh, We are influencing people every single day. You're doing it one of two ways. You're either being a light for Jesus Christ, or by your lifestyle, you're denying his existence. He says either you gather or you scatter. There's there's no in-between here. And so we don't want to be laid to see it, right? He says you guys are nauseating, lukewarm. Um, and I, the word there is I'll vomit you out of my mouth. We want to be Philadelphia. You know, we want, we want the open door to be able to minister. And believe me, when you do that, it'll make your day. Nothing makes your day when you're able to witness to somebody. Good place for an amen. When you know what's better? If they actually accept the Lord, when you're doing it. And, um, man, there's, there's just nothing like that on this planet. That somehow God used you or me to be an instrument that actually changed the course, the direction of a person's eternal soul? Wow. And yet the Bible says that God has chosen the foolishness of what I'm doing here tonight to preach the gospel. He's chosen the foolish things of the world. So we all qualify. (laughs) We all qualify. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You see, if you got a lot of intellect, he says there's not many wise, not many noble that are called. There's not. The Lord didn't go to the University of Jerusalem and look for Gamaliel. He went to Galilee and Capernaum and got Peter, James, and John. And Peter is a great example here of Isaiah. He was out fishing, professional fisherman, didn't catch anything all night. The Lord gave a Bible study and said, Peter, let's go fishing. I can just see Peter rolling his eyes. Lord, we've been on all night. Believe me, they're not biting. I'm a fisherman, I know. He said, but because you say so, we will. So what, what happened? It was the biggest catch of their entire life. What did Peter do? He knew it was a miracle. He fell flat on his face, just like Isaiah. And he said, Lord, depart from me, because I know what a sinner I am. So my point in this is um, being humble or or having humility, you can't drum it up. It's not in our nature. We're too self-centered. Only when you're born again, only when you're conscious of God's spirit is there true humility. And we can't take credit for any of it. Another good place for an amen. Okay, back to to Revelation. Revelation. So, verse 7 gets into more detail with um, these four creatures. Um, They're full of eyes. Verse 7 says, the first living creature was like a lion. The second creature was like a calf. The third creature was like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes round and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, I do see in this the four Gospels. Um, In Matthew, who is writing to Jews, he refers to Jesus as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. In Mark, um, uh, we see him more as a suffering servant, and we have a servant, 
being used here for toil, so we have the calf. Luke is referred to as referring to the Lord as a son of man. He was a physician. And uh, so we have a picture of a man's face. When you read the Gospel of John, he only has one point that he wants to make, that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the last thing he says in chapter 21, these things I have written unto you that you might believe that Jesus is God. So when we read the eagle, it, it, uh, it is a symbol of, um, of that of the Son of God, and that's what John writes about. So some, if you don't see that, that's fine. But I do see this representing also the four Gospels. So in verse 9, whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders fell down before him who sat on the throne and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive the glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist, and they were created. And so chapter 4 is the beginning of the final section of the book of Revelation. John is taken into heaven, and he has a picture of the throne room. These four cherubim, the, um, the thrones being set up. And there's one that I missed. I think I wanted to tie in Daniel, and I think it's Daniel chapter 7. I'm correct. Please go there. And the reason, again, I'm doing this is I want to make the connection with the importance of the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. Because we have detail now that's going to be given to us here that helps fill in some of the blanks in chapter 5 of Revelation. So go to Daniel 7. Chapter 7, verse 8 is about the Antichrist and um, the little horn. And uh, he had eyes like a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. I'm not going to dwell on the Antichrist tonight. But then it says in verse 9, Daniel says, I watched till thrones were put in their place. Thrones, plural. What thrones? Well, the 24 that are around the throne. 12 for the tribe of Israel, 12 for the, that represent the church. And the Ancient of Days was seated. This is one of my favorite names for the Father, the Ancient of Days. His garment was white like snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, his wheels a burning fire. Now, I know it's the Father because the Son's going to come and take the scroll out of this guy's hand. But yet, it's an exact description of what we read in chapter 1 with the hair being like pure wool and eyes of fire and a voice like... And remember that you're not going to be able to grasp the Trinity until we get to heaven. His ways are far above us. How, how do you have one God in three persons. Best I can describe is an egg. (laughs) You have the outer shell, you have the white, and they have the yolk. And I'm not yoking when I say that. How do you describe it? You can't. So you you have them together forever and ever. They've always existed, and the only time they were only separated was for that period of time when Jesus said on the cross, um, Father, um, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God can't be a partaker of sin. And in that moment of time, he was separated. But that's the only time they've been separated. John 17, Jesus' prayers, Lord, give me back my glory. I'm ready to come home. I want my followers to see the glory that we had together. And we are. One of the things of looking forward to is the glory of God. It's tried to be put into words here. 
His throne was a flame of fire. His wheels were burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousand ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, that's the 24 elders, and the books were open, a, a reference to the judgment. Now remember when we're teaching through scripture that we're going to have the gaps. And a lot of times it doesn't explain that period of time with the gaps. And uh, here we have, I, I believe this reference here, the court was seated and the books were open. The only one judging at the great white throne judgment is the Father himself. And um, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words with the, which the horn was speaking, and I watched till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the lake of fire. Now we're going to get to that eventually in Revelation 19. So Daniel's seeing all this stuff. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominions taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season at a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which will never be destroyed. Now, just we'll, we'll touch on this a couple times. Just go to Daniel 12 real quickly. Daniel was just shown the throne room. And he was given information in this vision. In Daniel 12, he wants to know, Lord, what does all the, this mean? But he says in chapter 12, verse 4, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until. Until the time of the end, many will run to and fro, knowledge will increase. In other words, um, it would be very difficult to teach the book of Revelation before Israel was gathered back into the land again. There was no Israel. What do you mean? The whole book from 4 to 19 is about Israel. And so imagine being a Bible teacher in, um, you know, the 1500s. Anytime after 70 AD, there is no Israel game. They came back after the Holocaust. So imagine trying to teach the Bible. You get the book of Revelation, you go, oh, you know, what does this mean? And there was always a small group of people, you know, that would say, I don't know. But this is God's word, and if that's what it says, whether I understand it or not, I believe it. Well, we're told here that they're not going to understand it. Daniel, it's shut up and sealed until. Well, it's not, we're reading the book of Revelation, it's not shut up and sealed anymore. The book of Revelation means to unseal, to reveal. All right, so now I wanted to tie that in. Now let's go back and um, take chapter 5. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, seven, signed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth were able to open the scroll or to look on it. Now this is more than John could handle. Um, who and what is the scroll? Dr. Harry Ironside has suggested that it's the title deed to this world. And um, I tend, no, I don't tend to, I agree with him. I believe that planet Earth was given to Adam and Eve and they forfeited it to Lucifer in the garden. And the Bible clearly teaches that he's the God of this world. And um, what is the book? Um, I believe it is the title deed to planet Earth. And it has to be redeemed. And the thought in John's mind that it would go on like this forever, that nobody can take the book out of the Father's hand, 
Um, and this part blows my mind, or even to look at it. What do we have here? Something so precious and valuable. But he said, one of the elders said to me in verse 5, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open his scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into the earth. In chapter 1, we see the glorified body. Here, we see the Lord with the scars, evidently. And he came, and this is what we read in Ezekiel and Isaiah, where he came to the throne, and dominion, Isaiah said, dominion was given to the one at that time. And here we have it again in Revelation. So this one who was slain, of course, that's the cross. I'm sure everybody here gets that. And he came and he, t- he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And talk about all heaven breaking loose. Because he's the only one who can do it. That's why Jesus is the only way. He's the only one who paid the price. He's a kinsman redeemer. He's the only one that purchased this planet back with his own blood. He said, I'll I'll take that. I purchased that. Um, We read in Romans that um, all things are under him, yet right now we don't yet see all things under him. And right now we don't see all things under him, do we? It's sort of like laying something away for Christmas. You buy it, but you don't pick it up until you go to pick it up. And so when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the lamb, each having a harp. So I guess there is harps in heaven. (laughs) And golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. What are the prayers of the saints? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What next? Thy kingdom come. Lord, let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done. And it's finally being answered. And they sang a new song. Okay, gang, get ready. Here are the words. You're going to get the melody later. Okay? But we learn the words tonight. And only the church can sing these words. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God and we will reign on the earth. Is not, is not that one of the promises that he made to one of the churches of Thyatira? You will rule and reign with me on the earth. Okay, question at this point. The first seal has not yet been opened. The tribulation has not yet begun. Four and five is a section of the Bible where you'll find this when we get between the seals, there's a break and information will be given. And so what we have here is after the church age, we're going to go into the tribulation, but we have information given to us in four and five. And I just have one simple question. Who is being talked about in verses nine and 10? Who's been redeemed by the blood out of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. None other than the church of Jesus Christ. Question, where is the church of Jesus Christ before chapter 6, the tribulation? In heaven. And you won't read about him again, because from here on out, it's all Israel. And um, that by itself should uh, set to rest uh, the, the debate that, that people have over the issue of, of the rapture. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, millions and millions of angels. Uh, we read about that back in the Old Testament. 100 million angels. Wow. 
They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Doesn't talk anything about redemption here. The Bible says someday I'm going to judge angels. What does that mean? Answer, I don't know. But it just says that. And by the way, on a topic of angels, it says be careful how you treat strangers. Because some of you have entertained angels not even knowing it was an angel. What are you telling me that I might have bumped into an angel and talked to an angel? That's exactly what the Bible says. Be careful how you entertain people because it might be an angel. That's a heavy thought. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Amen. Before we get into the great tribulation, the church is in heaven. It is the only view where you have imminency, where it could happen at any time. And so we're told as we close tonight and get ready for a holiday weekend, um, you know, having brats. Josh, you got you and Brittany, Bethany have to get used to brats. Have you had a brat yet? You've had a brat? Okay, all right, just, just checking. Because brats are what Memorial Day weekend is all about, you know, so, so you know. So before we open the first seal, which is the Antichrist, which we read about, the one with the pompous word and the big mouth, he's the first one that's revealed. Question, who are you looking for tonight? You're looking for the coming of the Antichrist? Or are you looking for the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the only one that has eminency. Otherwise, you're actually saying, my Lord is delaying his coming. You're actually saying that. Because the Lord can't come until the Antichrist comes. And my Bible says, don't ever say that. Don't ever say, my Lord is delaying his coming. We are meant to be simply found, patiently waiting for him, being about our Father's business, and finishing the course. And in closing, I would just say, Hang in there. Don't do anything different. Keep your routine the same. Keep your morning devotions. Keep Sunday priority, worshiping the Lord, studying the word, going through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And then really encourage you, to, the biggest blessing, if you have time, is um, men and women's prayer. And um, it's doable. This was the doctrine of the early church, the apostles' doctrine, Bible study. Fellowship, prayer, and communion. I can do that. You know, that's all I can do. But I can do that. And that's what he's asked us to do. Amen. Let's stand. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. As we dive into this section of the book of Revelation, we see this this four and five information chapters about being caught up to heaven after chapter two and three, the chapters of the church. And Lord, as we enter this last section, I do pray you would go before us. And I thank you, Lord, for the blessed hope that we have that um, uh, you've promised to um, keep us from the day of wrath that you took upon yourself. And thank you for the blessed hope. So I pray for us, those that are traveling this weekend, that you keep them safe. And I pray for your word on Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, amen.